on uh, chapter 22, page 160. And we're continuing describing the issues with honor. As for honor, it is no more than the greatest of vanities, leading a person away from himself and from his master and causing him to totally disregard his duty. One who is cognizant of this will surely spurn and despise it. And the praises that people give him will weigh heavily upon him. For when he sees how they amplify his, their praises for what in reality he does not possess, he will feel only shame and will sigh over the fact that he not only has to contend with his own misfortune, his lack of these virtues, but also with the false praise that people heap upon him, which further adds to his shame. The fourth category involves respecting all people. We have been taught in chapters of our fathers, who is respected? One who respects other people. And this does not mean to only respect people who you like. It means to respect even the people who you don't like. I received a, a really nice email last night from an individual who worked in, in human resources for a, for a period of time. And he said that people would sometimes apply to be part of his department. And they said they applied to be part of his department because they liked helping people. So he said, there are two conditions that you have to know before you actually apply to work here or before I can accept you. Number one, do you like paperwork? Right, because it's not just helping people, you gotta push a lot of paper also. He said and number two, are you willing to help people who you don't like? Right? And that's what Pierre Kiavis is saying. It's one who respects other people. In other words, you give them respect even if you don't like them, even if you don't respect their opinion per se, you still give them respect. And they also said, Where do we know that one must respect a peer, even if one knows that his peer is greater than him in only a single matter? Furthermore, we have been taught. One should always be the first to greet others. Okay? They said about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai that no one, not even a Gentile in the marketplace, ever preceded him with a greeting. Right? So he was always the first one who wished the other one good morning, good afternoon. One's obligation to respect his peers relates to speech and deeds. Uh, there's the famous story that the, that's written about in the, the Hasidic tales of the Holocaust about the Blujava Rebbe. And the Blujava Rebbe had a next door neighbor. His next door neighbor, when he was, uh, you know, the Rebbe in Blujav, was a fellow whose name was Muller. And every time he would see him, he would say, you know, uh, I forgot how to say good morning in, in uh, good morning, good morning, you know, Herr Muller. And he would always say good morning to him. And they didn't really have a relationship, but he would always just say good morning. And if Past my night, he would say, you know, you know, all of the, the right words he would say, but just very politely. And when he came to um, to a, a concentration camp in World War II, and he was pretty old, and he didn't think he was going to make it to the, you know, to the, when they're splitting up into the two two files, and one file is going to be to be murdered, and one file is going to live in the work details. So he walks to the front of the line, and he's davening the whole way down that he gets sent to the right file. And he gets to the front of the line and he hears a Guten Morgen, er, I don't remember his name, but, but uh, whatever his last name was. And he looks up and he sees that it's Herr Müller, right? It was his next door neighbor and, and was a, a Nazi and was a, exterminated many Jews. But that relationship of, of, that was created through him saying good morning to him every time he actually did save his life at that time. And the sages of blessed memory have already given an account of the 24,000 disciples of Rabbi Akiva who died as a result of the disrespectful manner they adopted towards one another. And just as disgrace is something that is associated with the wicked, as stated in a verse mentioned previously, 
when the wicked comes in, with him comes disgrace. In a corresponding way, respect is associated with the righteous. Honor resides within them and will not depart. And it says, before his elders, there is honor. Right? So there is a, an inherent honor and a dignity and a self-respect that the people who are not vying for honor are able to give others because right? they're not looking for it for themselves. And they're never going to be looking to knock anybody else down because it's not a necessity for them, right? And that's the truly humble people, right? So they actually, they command your respect by, by the way in which they treat others, which is always with a tremendous amount of respect. The central components of humility have now been defined. There are specific details, like all specific classifications, that broaden according to the nature of the subject and conditions of time and place and be dealt with according to this formula from Proverbs. Let the wise man listen and add insight. And so it's very important to recognize, no matter how comprehensive a book, we're not going to be able to go through every single case. We're not going to be able to detail every circumstance exactly what it means to act honorably, right? When you should, when you should say, you know, this is not a respectful way to treat me as a human being. And when you should say, I don't care if he's treating me like that because I'm not going to stand on my honor. And every time I get, I get disrespected, that's actually good for me in the long run because that will help me from getting a swelled head, right? Exactly how you're supposed to do that, that's going to be up until the time and the place. It is certain that humility removes many obstacles from man's path and draws him closer to many good things. For a person who possesses humility will have minimal concern for this world and will thereby not be envious of its vanities. Furthermore, his company is very pleasant and people approve of him. It is obvious that such a person will be brought neither to anger nor argument. It's a very powerful statement. Right? You're truly humble. It's very difficult to get someone to get angry or even to get, to get uh, you know, to argue vociferously about something. Because if you're very humble, then your ego is never going to get lost or caught up in a specific argument where you're going to feel the need to disprove the other person's opinion. Rather, all that he does is done quietly and calmly. Fortunate is the person who has the privilege to acquire this virtue. Our sages of blessed memory have already stated in the Jerusalem Talmud, just as wisdom made a wreath for its head, humility made a heel for its soul, right? So what does this mean? This means that wisdom is a wreath around a smart person's head, and humility is the shoe for, for their journey in life. The entire expanse of wisdom cannot compare with it. This is clear cut, right? Why, well, how do we see that from this phrase? Because when it comes to wisdom, we describe it as just a wreath around your head, right? So that's not a fundamental or primary component of what drives you. But without a, a heel, it's impossible to do anything, right? So humility is the real engine that drives us in this world if you want to be successful in terms of what the true success is measured it in the quoted passage refers to fear of the internal. The intent of this passage is to teach us that while wisdom is merely an ornament that enhances the virtue of fearing the eternal, humility is the foundation upon which one acquires fear of the eternal. Okay, so we're gonna basically stop over here. I just wanted to wish everyone a kasiva v'chasima taiva, a written down in the book of life and sealed in the book of life, and a you know, a sweet and happy year. The Gemara tells us that that a year ends and the curses go away. When the year ends, the curses from that year go away. And the obvious question is, 
in a typical year, I mean, this year's a little bit worse than average, but in a typical year, there's bad things that happen. And then the next year happens and bad things happen and good things happen. It's not like a, the way of the world doesn't really change. So what's the Gemara emphasizing by saying that a year goes away, its curses go away with it. So I think what the Gemara is trying to teach us is like this. At the end of the year, when we look back after having gone through the experiences that we went through, we can not move on from those experiences. We cannot grow from those experiences. That's the curse that will come with us. When we talk about that the curses will, be, will go away, what we mean to say is the perspective of the year changing, the perspective of recognizing the true purpose of life. After the fact, whatever has happened to us, it seems to have been bad. We have an added ability to recognize it is what it is, and I'm moving on. I'm going to incorporate even the lows of this past year in terms of my in terms of my service and my growth in the year to come. Okay. And as we mentioned last night, that the custom is to dip an apple in the honey. This is only the custom, by the way, uh, amongst Ashkenazi Jews. But more recently, Svartim took it on as well. Um, but originally, it was always the custom amongst Ashkenazi Jews because they did not have access to, um, to the new fruits that the Svartim Jews had in the locales where they lived. So that took on the custom of having something nice and sweet Know, to symbolize having a sweet new year. Now, the question is, generally speaking, when we talk about honey in the Torah, what type of honey do we mean? We mean date honey. We don't mean bee honey, right? We don't, we mean, we don't mean the, the honey from a bee. We mean the honey from a, we normally mean the honey from a date. So why is it that we use the honey from a bee? So there's a suggestion that the reason why we use honey from a bee is because it's two different reasons given. One reason has to do with the fact that the bee stings and then it produces something sweet. Right? So the, the, the idea is that although it starts off being painful, in the end, you recognize the sweetness of it. But another idea that I heard is like this. If you put anything into honey over an amount of time, over a period of time, it actually will become processed and become honey too. Right? The honey can actually, it doesn't preserve things. It actually causes it to become part of that sweetness. Right? So the year that went by, right? We're not happy about the year that went by necessarily, but the true triumph will be when we are able to integrate the year that went by and actually look at those struggles as becoming part of the sweetness of true triumph. So I want to wish us all a bracha that we reach that level and that we reach a level of understanding and that we have a wonderful year full of nachas from our children and or grandchildren and a great and meaningful Rosh Hashanah.